So uh, we are uh, recording two of these talks. Fred, uh, I recorded uh, the earlier one that Fred gave just before lunch, and I'm recording this one now. Uh, these will be posted by Spirit Rock at Dharma Seed probably within about 10 days or less, and you can download them for free. They're freely offered. Uh, if you want to make a contribution to Dharma Seed, it's an incredibly good thing to do. They offer everything they do freely, and um, so you know, there are good teachings there. Lots of really remarkable teachings there. So that's what I just pushed the button for. Um, you know, it, I, I find this work on self-compassion very, very powerful. Um, as Fred knows and alluded to, there's been a lot of research lately on self-compassion as a very powerful practice. And in fact, a lot of the results or benefits of self-esteem, quote-unquote, really boil down to self-compassion. Um, because self-compassion is very emotional and visceral, and it's a very, very powerful practice. It naturally leads to and reflects a fundamental stance, which is at the heart of healthy assertiveness and forgiveness, which is that you're for yourself. You're not against others, but you're for yourself. To ground that in a Buddhist framework, uh, the, um, the view in Buddhism is that we should be loving and kind toward all beings because that's skillful means for our own liberation from suffering. Well, all beings includes us, right? I had an experience once on retreat um, that culminated as retreat experience as well with me being eyeball to eyeball with a squirrel in a tree for what seemed like forever, only a few feet away. And I realized I really wished that squirrel well. And in the complexity of things, I wish the owl well, that it may find a squirrel to eat too, <laughs> the complexity. And then I realized if it was legitimate to wish that squirrel well, it's legitimate to wish oneself well, as one more organism, one more animal, one more being on the planet to do that. So it's okay to include ourselves in this larger chain of being. Further, if you think about it, and a lot of hands went up when I asked how many of you get paid to be helpers, in other words, or in the helping professions like I am, and a lot of hands went up. It's a general moral principle that the more power you have over someone, the greater the duty is. Parents have a great duty to their children. They inflicted consciousness on unsuspecting flesh, right? They have a duty to them. Uh, there's a baby in the room, which makes me very happy today about that. and. Um, so the point about that is who's the one being you have the most power over? It's your future self. It's very interesting to think about the future self. I mean, right now the self you are is influenced more than anything else in the world by the actions and inactions of that self you were 10 years ago, 10 days ago, 10 minutes ago, right? And so it's out of that moral sense that we're also giving to ourselves. Last, it's a very beautiful thing to consider yourself as a child. A good friend of mine carries a picture of herself when she was a little girl in her wallet right next to her ID. So when she pops out her ID, she sees herself as that precious little being. Not perfect, making messes, you know, throwing up on the kitchen table, whatever. It reminds me of our daughter one time who at age three after she finished her bowl of Cheerios, just went like this to it. Because she was done with it. It wasn't personal. It was a log. I had to clean up the log, but it was like, whoop, done with that. Okay. But still, you, your own three-year-old, you know we're innocent, beautiful, and worthy of care. Okay? 
So speaking of worthy of care, temperature, still a little hot? Yeah, still a little hot. I don't know, Bernard, if there's any more thermostats to jiggle or sorry, we'll just do stuff. We'll hang in there. You will get cool in here. This one will get cool. So based on being for yourself, what is healthy assertiveness? And uh, I'm, I'm tempted to write an article, maybe for Tricycle, called Buddhist Assertiveness is Not an Oxymoron. All right, it's not a contradiction in terms, in other words. So first off, you want to, what is assertiveness? It's speaking your truth and pursuing your aims in the context of relationships. You could talk about assertively mowing the lawn or assertively doing your taxes. It doesn't kind of make much sense. We think about it's in the context of relationships, so we do assertiveness. And then I want to play off the second part of what supports it in a little bit of a different way that will touch on all those themes. So one thing that supports assertiveness in situations is everything we do before we get into the situation, the backstory there. And I want to call out two things. One is to support and nourish a baseline of health and vitality. It's tough to be successfully and healthily assertive and forgiving when we ourselves are just wiped out, when we haven't had any sleep, when we're physically depleted, our hormones are raging, um, you know, we're in chronic pain. Do what we can, okay? It's possible to be centered and clear and loving in the most awful of situations, but that's a pretty high bar. Let's do what we can to, do, uh, to support our own health and vitality offstage. The second thing is to take care of our big needs so we don't have to sputter about our little ones. And that's a big one right there. Very often I think we get angry and aggrieved about minor things in part because we haven't taken care of the big ones. I mean, I'm not talking here about someone murdering our children just out of the blue or structural oppression in society, which is something we really haven't talked about but is very real as well. Uh, it's impersonal but personal because it is targeted. Okay? Uh, different kinds of structural oppression related to race or gender, sexual orientation, religion, history, disability, what have you. Those are very real things. Okay? Um, so, you know, one does what one can relative to them and sometimes there are limitations. But in terms of the kind of grievances that are very much the bread and butter of daily life, right? Those little irritations at work, in traffic, at home, our kids, our spouses, our parents, our siblings, whatever. A lot of the reason we get our knickers in a twist about that is because we really haven't pursued our, our healthy aims in a deep way. We haven't fundamentally addressed the fact that we're in a crummy job and really stood up for ourselves. We haven't fundamentally addressed that the power Im is imbalanced in our marriage. It needs to be leveled out and rectified. There are fundamental inequities maybe in terms of who does how much housework or teamwork or child care and that needs to be really addressed. Um, I see a lot of times that people occupy this sort of middle zone, I think of it as a hell realm, where they haven't truly let, it, let go, nor have they truly, with gravity and dignity and strength of heart, stood up for what needs standing up for. Right? So that's an important thing before the situation. Now we're in the situation. Uh, in the real world, I like little reminders because life is really complicated and I can't remember everything, so this is my kind of little reminder. Pause, center, look, and plan. In other words, first step, pause. Like, what's going on? Pause. Lots of times we get into difficult situations because we react too quickly. 
We don't take a moment to pause. It could be just a few seconds, it could be a few days, but we pause. All right? Two, center. Reaccess that sense of strength. We're talking about what supports assertiveness now in difficult moments. Center. Find that sense of strength. Also, sometimes it really helps to buttress a sense of safety or relative safety. There's no perfect safety in this world, but there's greater safety available to us. I will do little things like hear Captain Kirk's voice in my head, shields up, Scotty. All right? I will visualize a shield around myself. I will remind myself I am like a mighty oak tree. Whatever. Um, boom. Okay? Uh, also, Turn to our refuges in that moment. What is it that feeds us? What are our wellsprings? What, what fills us? In Buddhism, classically, the three main refuges are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. You could say the teacher, the teaching, and the community of the taught. All right? As well as, in terms of the teacher, that quality within us that's you know, pure and wise and loving uh, and free already. Okay? That's the teacher within. Right? There are other refuges. Reason, discernment. Um, the divine, if that's meaningful to you. Uh, friends and supporters, camaraderie. Someone was telling a story at the break about running the Beta Breakers, and what really carried him along in part was this sense of community with other people who were going in the same direction. Right? Okay, these are the things we turn to to center. Often we haven't done anything yet. We're just centering. We're building a secure base. You know, in attachment theory, you build a secure base, then you explore from it, or Clausewitz. The first rule of warfare, secure a base of operations, right? Get that base going, and then we go forward. So then we look. We see what are the facts. You know, what's really going on here? Was it truly deliberate? Was it two teenagers laughing hysterically or a log? Um, how big an offense is it? On the 0 to 10 wrongdoing scale, is it a 2? If it's just a 2, why am I reacting to it at a level of 7 reactivity? See? What are the facts here? Seeing clearly, looking, understanding, also looking at the person, trying to understand the causes upstream. You know, is this a one-off or is this a recurring pattern of mistreatment of me or people I care about? Um, why are they doing this? What has happened in their life to, to lead to this moment? Not so much to let them off the hook or to psychoanalyze the situation, but just to see clearly as much as is useful to see clearly. All right? And then make a plan. It is so useful to figure out what am I going to do in terms of my own, keeping my own counsel. And then I, now I want to talk about actually, you know, how to do assertiveness. And then Fred and I will you know, take questions and comments about this. So I think, you know, in the trenches, it's really useful to know what you're trying to have happen in the situation. Maybe you want it to never happen again. Maybe you want to use the moment to make an agreement from now on. Maybe you, you realize to yourself, you know, this dog is never going to hunt. This relationship's never going to be viable big, this big. I need to make it this big or this big, you know, not at all. Whatever. What's the aim? What's the prize? Very often in interactions with other people, we get spun into all these side issues and we lose track of the main thread that we're pursuing. And other people, teenagers especially, are really good at getting us sucked into side issues because it's a great way to avoid dealing with what's really happening. You know? um, sometimes what we really want to do in the, mo in the situation, speaking of teenagers, is get out of the way of instant karma. 
In other words, someone wants to find karma as hitting golf balls in a tiled shower, right? It comes back. Parents often needlessly get in the way of the ball coming back, which conveys a lesson. Fred well knows, you know, there's the saying in medicine that good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. So <laughs> as our kids go off in the world, I remind my wife, honey, Good judgment comes from bad judgment. You know, they need to have, you know, some bad, they need to have the opportunity to exercise bad judgment, obviously, with hopefully safe parameters. So what are your aims? Another is obviously ground in empathy, compassion, and love, and practice unilateral virtue. This is a big one. You know, in other words, um, we basically say, you know, instead of waiting to be a good person when you're a good person, I'm going to be a good person whether you're a good person or not. Good, however you define that. But I'm going to, for example, practice right speech, wise speech, even if you don't. I'm going to be fair even if you're not. I'm going to um, stay the hand of vengeance even if you don't. Right? Why do I do that? I do it for many reasons. I do it because it feels good to be virtuous. It supports my personal practice. Also, it's my best odd strategy for getting good treatment from you. Right? Also, Sooner or later, if need be, it puts me on the high moral ground or the moral high ground because I truly have acted in a clean and virtuous way. And if I do need to make changes in this relationship, in my heart of hearts, I will know I did everything reasonable I could to have it go better. And I did it for myself, not to be a doormat, not to be beaten up by you, but I did it for myself to be unilaterally virtuous. Another headline, communicating for yourself. And by the way, we're going to do a, an exercise very quickly where we start practicing this. So I'm just calling out some of the headlines. And you might think of these as, like I said earlier, a checklist. Where are you solid and where might be something else to, to get better at? So another part is when we communicate. I see it all the time that people communicate to produce a result over there. And if we do that, our success is contingent on what they do, right? It's very different to speak for ourselves to speak truth to power, to name the facts as we see them, to speak the truth in part to discover our truth along the way, to speak the truth to know that we said it even though it was hard, to speak the truth so that we know that they know that we know we said it, even if they act like we didn't. I had times of communicating things to my parents who just absolutely denied what I was talking about and changed after that. Fine. We don't need to grind them down into agreement. You know, what we really care about is let's see what happens here. So as part of that, a really wonderful vehicle um, is nonviolent communication. How many of you have ever heard of nonviolent communication? If not, if there are about four books I always recommend. That's probably, if I was one relationship book, it would be nonviolent communication. Uh, Marshall Rosenberg, wonderful stuff. It really boils down to a fundamental formula, which is very consistent with, you know, the six criteria for wise speech, which is essentially... When X happens, I feel Y because I need Z. That's the essence of it all. And then sometimes it's appropriate to add at the end, and so from now on I request such and such. X is stated very objectively so that a fair, neutral party would agree, not when you're a jerk, I get mad. <laughs> no. Okay? See what I mean? And then what I feel, it's not when you're a jerk, I feel you're a jerk. It's No, it's when you come home late you know, yet again, I feel you're a jerk. No, it's I feel sad, I feel helpless, I feel frustrated, I feel angry because I need Z, and especially the deepest need of the needs of all. I need to feel like I matter to you. 
I need to feel like I matter to people. I need to feel that I have some capacity to influence the world. I need to feel loved. I need to feel some autonomy. Right? I need to feel that we're in this together in raising our family, whatever. Okay? That's a great resort, you know, nonviolent communication. Another couple of keys in terms of actually speaking for yourself, dignity and gravity. It's so interesting, isn't it? When we find our own seat, we find our own center, we speak from strength, not that um, false strength, but that deep, true strength where there's a dignity to it and a gravity to it. I think about people like uh, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, obviously, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Um, I also think about Thich Nhat Hanh. I don't know if you know him, Buddhist, uh, Vietnamese, uh, great teacher. He was once described as, he's like a combination cloud, butterfly, and bulldozer. <laughs> so you want to you track and channel your inner bulldozer sometimes, okay? Um, sort out empathy building from policy making. Sometimes some conversations are about needing to understand each other. You're not trying to solve problems. It really helps to mark sometimes. I'm going to genderize this short right now, especially for men. It really helps to mark sometimes when we're moving out of an empathy conversation into a policy conversation. You know, it helps to make those kind of separate and clear which is which. That's a very useful thing. And then last, negotiate solutions. I think that's really important to do. Again, some people you can't negotiate a solution with. The murderer of your child who's somewhere on the streets, you'll never be found. The person who dropped the bomb in your village or pulled everybody out of the village and shot them, what do you, you, know, you can't. But very often we can negotiate some kind of solution. So the things that help you do that. Establish clarity of facts, that's the X. You know, try to own in a win-win way. If you know the book Getting to Yes, it's about identifying the deepest needs on both sides of the table. Focusing on the future, most arguments are about the past. Think about the Middle East. Think about Bosnia and um, Kosovo. I mean, people upset there about battles that were won or lost 500 years ago. Um, you know, grievances in Northern Ireland that stretch back generations and generations. I'm not trying to trivialize any of those things that occurred, but certainly interpersonally, very often we're arguing about who said what, when, with what tone, you know? And then you're arguing about the fact that you're arguing. Much better, to, usually, to focus on the future. Sometimes you have to name the past and deal with it, but generally better to focus on just whatever about the past, solutions from now on. And then sometimes it really helps to make something clear, you know, to pin it down, especially if you have a recurring history with someone who doesn't really keep their word with you. Then you need to address at the meta level, are you willing to make the most fundamental agreement of all, which is to keep the agreements you make. You know, are you willing to treat your agreements at home with your spouse and your children as seriously as you treat the most trivial agreement at work? And then last, um, sometimes you have to rescale the relationship. If you think about it, a relationship whose fundamental foundation is this big, but whose actual form is this big, that's a lost opportunity. But a relationship that's this big, but its true foundation in truth that supports it is only this big, that is a setup for mistrust and breakdown and lots and lots of harm. And sometimes what we have to do is rescale the relationship to its fundamental foundations in reality. Okay. So any comments or questions about these sort of the cliff notes of healthy assertiveness? And then let's go practice it. Okay, yeah, in the back, please. Could you speak up, sorry? Sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, so how to rescale relationships? Um, first, let's bow to the reality that sometimes you can't. And then you're in a different mode. You can't work with it, so you be with it. And you practice with your own inner reactions. And ultimately, you try to transcend it. And it reminds me of um, Viktor Frankl talking about being in Auschwitz, you know, one of the concentration camps uh, in World War II, where he really said um, very, very eloquently, uh, essentially, that in the camps there were always some people who even in the midst of all the horrors, still found it in themselves to be kind or to do what they could. In other words, they retained a fundamental inner freedom even in the middle of the most awful circumstances. Or to use another analogy, um, true story, the Buddha, not the Buddha, the Dalai Lama um, was asking a, a monk who'd finally been released from prison in Tibet after 20 years of terrible mistreatment and torture and all the rest, um, if he had ever feared for his life in the midst of all these dreadful, potentially lethal circumstances. And the monk said, well, only once. The one time I feared for my life was when I felt I might be starting to lose my loving kindness for my captors. That's how he defined his life, the life that truly mattered to him. And that's how he retained his own inner freedom of mind. So sometimes, you know, we can't rescale it, but we do what we can. That said now... Um, rescaling looks like different things. You know, sometimes it looks like seeing certain people less often or for shorter visits. My wife and I realized at one point, uh, Jan pointed it out, that our, my visits, uh, our visits from my parents went really well for about the first two and a half days. But after that point, they couldn't stand it any longer and they needed to start giving us advice. <laughs> right? So if we just ended the you know, visit before we hit that critical mass, we were better. Another one is take your own transportation when you visit the in-laws. <laughs> you know, or you know, uh, find uh, things to do, like our kids, for example, would bring homework in certain situations when they were in school, and they had to go off and work on their paper, okay? things like that. Or we find that we just realize we're going to count on that person for less stuff, or we're going to make ourselves less vulnerable to that person. We, we rescale it up or down. Um, you know, and, and that will get into some practical details. Maybe that's enough for that. The point is, to me, there's always something you can do, even if it's only in your own mind. You know, to take a page from Captain Kirk, I reject the Kobayashi Maru scenario. <laughs> in other words, like Victor Frankl and Fred here, we know there's always something we can do. And that internal sense of efficacy, when we're just pummeled and knocked by life, is itself profoundly important for healing. Okay. Maybe one more person, and then we'll segue to an exercise. Well, we'll... I, I want to huh? just, just uh, reiterate what, what Rick is saying, because if, if, you, if you just take that away from having spent like six or seven hours with us, that would be really helpful to you, that there's something I can do. And that something is now, and it may be small, but I, I'm looking at all these assertiveness things, and they're all about the practice of goodness. Mm. You know, they're saying that, well, you know, I need to stay focused on my goals so that I can, you know, manifest what I need, or I'm going to ground what I say in loving kindness, empathy. 
I'm going to be righteous even if you're not. I mean, these are all incredibly simple practices, but if you take away even the conception of efficacy, which is I can do something to push myself just to be a little bit more in alignment with you know, whatever the, the Buddhist values would be, that in itself would be the learning. I mean, I'm just looking at all these. Communicate not to change others, but to get yourself across. Negotiate solutions. They're all the practice of kindness at some level, but that's, that's a wonderful way of defining assertiveness. I mean, that's, that's a... Engaged kindness. Yeah. Okay. That's, thank you. Yeah. Well, should we slide into actually doing something with all this? <laughs> and we really will keep working on the air conditioning because well, it's going to get even warmer in here in a minute. All right. Well, so Rick and I, um, you know, want to give you a, at least an opportunity to experiment with um, ideas, practices, just, you know, how to open up your mind and heart to alternatives. Because the problem is usually that you're stuck. Not necessarily that you're terrible or wrong, but that you, you've limited yourself as to your options. And so we, we, we've set aside much of the next time to just give you a chance to practice. So let me just explain to you what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to think of a situation where it's likely you could have been more assertive, or more forgiving, or both. One or the other, or both. So as I yak for the next couple of minutes, run through in your mind what would be, and, and I want to be very careful about this, what would be a situation of mild to moderate intensity that you'd be willing to hold and share with somebody else here? We're going to do this again when this is done with something of more intensity. 